Welcome to Desire Made Real, a Discovery of Witches podcast, where we recap every episode of the television show, spoiler-free. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay, and when I'm not talking about Matthew and Diana, I'm probably talking about some other vampire or watching some other vampire show because there's a lot of them. And I'm Caitlin, and when I'm not talking about Discovery of Witches, I'm probably podcasting about some other television show because that's all I do with my life. So, here, each week, we'll recap the episode spoiler-free. We'll also include a segment at the end to discuss the books, how well the adaptation works, and we will likely dive into some spoilers there. But don't worry, we'll give you plenty of warning before we get there. Episode 2 was written by Susie Conklin and directed by Philippa Langdale. I love seeing so many women writing and directing. I know, it's wonderful. And of course, I can't see the name Philippa now without thinking of Philippa Giorgio on Discovery. So that's another name right. that's just like always burned into my head. And I will, I was watching, uh, I guess, for transparency here, we're recording this on the 27th of December. And so yesterday, and the day before I spent most of my time watching Bridgerton on Netflix. Oh, and Sarah Dollard wrote some episodes of them on that. So okay, if anybody is looking for some more uh, Sexy television written by our Discovery of Witches writers. Check that out. Not, I mean, by the time this is on, everybody's watched it. It's fine. Yeah, I, it's been all over my Twitter yeah. feed. I haven't had a chance to start it yet, but everybody seems to love it. It's a good time. But good time. that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talking about Matthew and Diana. We are. Um, the episode did actually open with a previously on. I, did they? Did they do that a lot last season? So I think watching in North America, they dropped all the episodes at once. And so I don't think they had the previously on because they knew we were going to binge them. Yeah. But they're dropping them all at once this year, too. So I don't know why there's a previously on. But there is. So if you're not binging and you're going, you know, week by week, like, who does that? I don't know. Uh, we are reminded that Peter, Jerbear, and Satu know that Diana and Matthew are in the past. And that Diana and Matthew are in the past looking for a teacher and the book. And Matthew is a spy. I will say one of the things that I disliked most about season one was a conversation. Or no, sorry. um, Some flashbacks that they did in an episode reminding you of things that happened within that very same episode. So hopefully mm-hmm. with these previously ons at the beginning of epi- every episode, they won't do weird stuff like that. Mm. Yes. We also get some cold opens because we have opening credits now. Yes. Um, so we open up at Sator with Sarah and M, which is wonderful. Our first glimpse of Sarah and all of her like feistiness. I do love Sarah and I love M. I love them both. And I loved the dynamic of having them live with Isabeau and all of them just being like, do we have to? Yeah. And well, like Isabeau and Sarah are so similar and they're both, both like, no, we don't need to like co-mingle. We're just here because we have to be. I don't even want to be here. And like Mart and M are just so reasonable. And M is like, we have to play nice. And Mart is like, if Matthew can evolve to like them, so can we. And it's it's just so awesome to kind of see the dichotomy in like both pairs. I like it. I love that you pointed out that Isabeau and uh, Sarah are so similar because I agree. But I think that they would not at all. Like that would make them very unhappy having that pointed out, but I, <laughs> oh, I do very much agree that they are very similar. They're very, very, very similar. Super feisty. I love it. And that's almost the only bit of the present that we get in the entire episode. There's a tiny bit right after the opening credits, but we do spend most of the time in 1590 again. Which is great because it looks fabulous. It does. Um, There's some things I want to talk about Matthew's outfits later. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, (laughs) So right away, we just get like his beard is growing in a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Looks really nice. I feel like the first shot we get of him, he is him like strutting along Mm -hmm. in his like super tight pants. And I was just happy to see that this show's priorities have not changed. Oh, absolutely not. We get a lot of Matthew strutting in this episode. But I'm not complaining. Oh, no, no, no. Me neither. Please give us more. Why not? Yep. And then, you know, plot points. Lord Burley is interrogating a witch. Matthew kind of watches it and then walks away, which is important for the episode, I think. You know, we'll we'll, we'll come back to that later. Everyone loves a good torture. Opening the episode. Well, I mean, we had torture ending last episode yep. and opening this one. So uh, I'm sensing a theme. Season two, torture. Season two is torture. Yes. And then we get the beautiful opening credits again. Mm -hmm. 
So much blue and so much wonder. I'm probably going to say they're beautiful in every episode because I enjoy them so much. They are very good. I am the type of person who really enjoys that skip opening credits button, which Mm. we don't currently have. We don't. We don't currently have that. And we also don't currently have closed captioning available, which bothers me. Yes. I watch everything with closed captioning now. And for the screeners not to have it available in the player is frustrating. I was definitely watching like episode six last night and Matthew was whispering some stuff to Diana. I was like, I have, it's a good thing I've read the book because otherwise I would have no idea what was going on in this scene. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So then we have Satu going to visit her mother who lives in a lean-to. Sure. Because that's in the woods. In the woods. (laughs) It looked cold to me. And I, I really liked this scene and I'm very glad we're getting some of Satu's story where Mm-hmm. I presume she is going to be learning about her past and magic while we see a little bit of Diana learning about hers, hopefully. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I hope that continues on. Uh, I was a little bothered in this scene because why the heck aren't they speaking Finnish? Or whatever. Is that what you speak in Finland? God, I don't even know. I think so. Sure. Or like, why are they speaking English? I, we can all read subtitles. This is a show for Unless adults. Unless the screeners don't let you have subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Um... I don't know. Weird choice that I that just took me out of the scene. But other than that, I thought the scene was very interesting. And I would be very interested to learn more about Satu's mother and, and her and where and her lineage. I, I feel like throughout the story, we're going to learn a lot about Diana. And I'd uh-huh. be interested to learn more about Satu. So I'm glad it's in here. Well, so this is the first time in season two that we've heard the word weaver. Oh, yes. Um, we previously heard it in season one also about Satu. Yes. From uh, the head, the head in a box. Yes. Oh, I forgot about the head in a box. How did I forget about the head in a box? I don't know. (laughs) Um, So, yes. And uh, Mama Satu says that they brought, she raised her in the woods, essentially, to protect her because she is a weaver. I enjoy that we're collecting people who we don't know their names. We got Not Sophie and we've got Mama Satu. Yep. I do know Not not Sophie's name now, but I just like calling her Not Sophie. I think I picked it up this episode, but I'm still like, I think that was her name, but she's still just kind of not Sophie. Yeah, she's Susanna Norman. She's, okay, I did think it was Susanna, so go me. Yep. Um, the other interesting thing about this scene, well, there's two things. Um, one, why do wind chimes make everything just seem more mystical? You know, that's an interesting question because I agree with you, but I wouldn't have thought of it before you said it. Because in real life, I find wind chimes to be the most annoying thing in the world my neighbors had some sometime and i wanted to rip them down mm. just so they would shut up <laughs> those people <laughs> i think it away. depends um there it depends on the tone of the wind chime for me like if it's a lower tone that's like not so tinny it's nice but when you've got the high-pitched like magical wind chime sound like we had in this scene all i can think of is like fairy magic right and it's weird. And like the show called attention to it by having the camera linger on the wind chime, both at the start of the scene and at the end of the scene. And I don't know if it's just because that was the only way they could indicate that there was something magical going on here. I guess. Because we're talking about magic. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's weird. But you also sometimes get those like wooden wind chimes, you know, and they kind of are magic-y sounding too with the weird, mm-hmm. um, with the woody, melodic, clunky noises that they make. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then at the end of this scene, the wind starts to blow and the water freezes and then we go away. And I don't understand what happened there. Hopefully we'll come back to it. I hope so. I mean, because I think so what happened was Satu said she wanted to learn. And so Mama Satu was like, fine, stay here and learn. Mm-hmm. And then the wind started to blow and Satu's face was really serious. And then the water froze. I mean, the easy answer is it was a design choice because it looked really cool, Um, (laughs) which I would suspect is the truth. But whether or not we're going to come back to it, I I genuinely don't know. And I I hope we do. I hope we get a lot more of them. Mm -hmm. I hope so, too. Um, We're seeing her a little bit more, actually a lot more than we did in the book. Way more than we did in the book. And I, well, spoilers, but... I find her story in the book interesting, and I'd be really, really interested to get more of it from her point of view. Mm. Maybe we will. Hopefully. So then we are back in the 1590s, and um, A, Diana has another fabulous outfit on. 
She does. I loved watching her get dressed. It's so interesting and poofy and pretty. Mm-hmm. I like it. And we get a brief glimpse of Jack in some nice clothes. And he's adorable. And he's mm-hmm. eavesdropping, which is also adorable. What else would you expect Jack to do? Exactly. He's a pickpocket. Come on. I just, he was cast so great. That kid is adorable. He is, yeah. And then uh, Matthew decides to introduce Diana to Mary Sydney. And you can tell by the light in her eyes that Diana is very excited. Yes. I don't recall, like, I didn't actually look up who Mary Sydney was in real life. I know she was a real historical person who practiced alchemy. Um, and that's why Diana's so excited to meet her. She was the Countess of Pembroke. She dies in 1621. Obviously, I'm just looking at Wikipedia right now. Of course. <laughs> um, I feel like her, I guess from what Matthew says and from what I remember from the book, he was friends with her brother and her brother mm-hmm. knew that Matthew was a vampire or a queer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, because we, we do get that great scene where Mary's like, I know what you are, but I always thought it was a fable and I'd like to keep it that way. Yeah. Which I think is a great line. And it's a great way for her to acknowledge that she understands who they are, that she doesn't hold it against them and still wants to be in their life, but she doesn't want to have anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. I liked that. Yeah, It's nice seeing that not everybody's on board with the mystical, even if, well, I feel like alchemy would kind of put them in the mood for the mystical, you know, like, I don't know, it's, it makes her very interesting. They, they more closely align alchemy with science than they do with the mystical, particularly in the 1590s i think i would say well i was gonna say i would say the opposite but i would say that their understanding of science in the 1590s they think it's the mystical right well i guess that's also true because we also have that that conversation later in this episode with matthew and kit where kit is asking about the future and matthew uses the word science yeah and to explain what science is he says it's alchemy but we know more about the world yeah that was such a great conversation, too, but we'll get there. <laughs> so I did just want to say, I, I, I've I, looked at Mary Sidney before with more in-depth, and from what I recall, she she married the Earl, or the Count. No, I think she married an Earl and became a Countess. Eh, whatever, I don't understand British hierarchy. And then he died in the early 1600s, and she had less money, but was then free of him and could do more alchemy, and then sadly died of smallpox, as per probably oh. most people back then. But we do get her. She's wonderfully cast. Oh, yeah. I love her. The actress is great. She is great. Um, So we do go to see Mary. And Diana's magic almost immediately goes wonky. And a snake that's on Mary's fabulously embroidered shoes. Why don't we have shoes like that anymore? I don't know. I want shoes like that. I mean, I don't necessarily want snakes on them. But uh, it was interesting. It was an interesting difference from the book as well. Because in the book, it was a bumblebee that came to life not a snake and i I totally understand why they made it a snake because it's so much easier to see on screen yeah because it's bigger but yeah that snake just slithers right off her shoe and somehow they keep mary from really noticing that it came from her shoe i think she knew but didn't want to know you know yeah because i'm sure yeah i'll go with that i'm sure she looked at her shoe later and was like uh missing a snake (laughs) yeah i probably i do love at the beginning of that scene before the magic goes wonky Diana says something like, you know, she just has sort of an interest in alchemy. And immediately Matthew is like, no, no, no. She is a wonderful scholar. Please. My, you know, very smart. And mm-hmm. I love that he stuck up for her there. Was, oh, he's always doing that I with know, her. It was so always. Cute. Yeah. It's the two of them are great. They have a couple great scenes in this yes. episode between the two of them that, that makes me really like their relationship. I feel like when I'm not reading the books or watching the show, I forget how much I like them. And then... Mm-hmm. But watching season two has reminded me how much I just like Matthew and Diana. Their their dynamic together is good and fun and right. It's it's the kind of dynamic that we we don't often get in vampire shows because usually when it's a vampire relationship, there's an aspect of power and powerlessness. Yeah, you know, even even in a show like Buffy, where you've got Buffy and Angel or Buffy and Spike, there's still unequalness there because Buffy's not going to live forever and you know they can go evil and kill her you know there's still always just a little bit of I don't know sinisterness yeah to it and here Matthew and Diana go head to head and toe to toe on everything yeah like they are equal to each other and I love 
that they make that so clear. Yes, I agree completely. That that maybe that is why I like them so much. That maybe there are times when Matthew wants her to understand that he's more powerful or, or more dangerous, but she never lets that happen. She's always just like, no, no, no. I'm just as dangerous as you. That's why we work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think not too long after that, we see Matthew in a cape. We do. We absolutely do. That's the next thing in my notes. I say Matthew goes back to Lord Burley's office and that cape is fire. Your your note is much better than mine. Mine just says Matthew works that cape. <laughs> It's amazing. Like, that's what I remember from that scene. We get more information about Burley and torturing witches and all of this stuff. But all I care about is the cape. (laughs) Yeah, because when he's talking to Lord Burley, he's taken off the cape. So that conversation just doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Although this is when uh, I guess it's not when we first meet Thomas Codwell, because Thomas Caldwell is the witch that Burley was interrogating in the, the cold open. Yeah. But this is when Burley, I'm I'm just going to call him Burley. I'm not ever going to call him Cecil. Yeah. Um, because for some reason, Lord Burley and William Cecil are the same person because I don't understand how titles work. It's so, so like he, when he was, oh, wait, do you actually care? Because I don't have to explain. We can just move on. <laughs> I, I just don't know. You're, you have a given name. And then if you're if you have an estate, sometimes people call you by the name of that estate. So the name of his estate is Burley. Or like the name of his residence or place. Yes. Town. So it would be like somebody calling um, Prince William. Oh, fuck. What is he? The Duke of York? Sure. It would be some be like somebody calling him York. So, okay. That, okay. That does make sense. So it's in this scene that we first find out that the Scottish witch leader, her name is Agnes something. I can only remember Agnes. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has been captured and is being tortured. And Burley orders Matthew to go question Thomas Caldwell, the witch that they have imprisoned in the Tower of London, um, because they believe he is treasonous. He is a traitor against the queen as a witch. Yes. And I believe uh, it was Matthew, like actual 1590s Matthew, that captured Agnes. Yes. And Burley thinks that that could go bad for them because the witches might... uh, Choose to be on her side rather than the queen's side. Right. Because she is a leader. Yes. And then we meet stringy Father Hubbard. But first of all, uh, Matthew adds a hat to the cape outfit. and Oh, was that here? I thought that yeah, was yeah. later. No, when he leaves because he's walking through the streets and the the uh, Matthew Hubbard cronies cor- like trap him in a little alley. And he's got the oh. cape and the hat with the feather. Yeah. It's very good. It's good. <laughs> it's very good. Uh, like... Another good example of how Matthew Good is so good, goddamn, in a period <laughs> piece, because some of those outfits would look fucking ridiculous on other people, but he just makes it work. He does. He absolutely makes it work. It, that was one of my favorite moments. Like, it's an outfit to remember. Mm-hmm. It's a great hat. I hope he stole it and still has it, you know? Oh. <laughs> Matthew Good. You not Matthew, Matthew Good. Claremont. Yes. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, no, that, that's a good hat for sure. So yeah, Father Hubbard has summoned Matthew and his witch. I really loved uh, Father Hubbard. He was just like, they just nailed him. He's creepy and unsettling, but he doesn't quite come across as evil. Mm-hmm. And I just, that whole scene was great. I loved that they had Matthew give the story about how he became a vampire. Like it sounded like a story that could have been a true legend about a creepy priest from back then you know so i really liked that they fit that in and mm-hmm. I, I just loved everything about that scene it was really well done mm-hmm. i liked it that it's a contrast to in the first episode where matthew wouldn't really tell diana much about lord burley right like when he was summoned to go see lord burley he was just somebody i should have gone to see mm-hmm. but with father hubbard Knowing that Diana has to meet him, he is more forthcoming about who he is and what he does in the city. Right. Which is just a nice change because he does keep more secrets than I would like. That's true. Although I do think that that's sort of the point of book slash season two is the mm-hmm. secrets coming out. Yeah. Um, I also feel like maybe it's just that Matthew is more is remembering more about what his life was in the 1590s and remembering more about who the key players were. Mm hmm. So, yeah. So maybe telling Diana is actually him 
reminding himself. Yeah. Um, we also learned that there's a treaty between Hubbard and the de Claremont family because uh, the de Claremonts have to spend a lot of time in London and Hubbard owns, quote unquote, owns London. And so they have to come to some kind of understanding to not kind of get in each other's way. Yeah, that, I guess that just shows how powerful the de Claremonts are. Although I kind of feel like we already knew that, but it's an it's a good reminder because maybe maybe that was season one. And if you're not doing a podcast, you might not have watched season one again or whatever. Right. It, well, it also shows how powerful Hubbard is. True. If he's somebody that the de Claremonts felt they had, like they can't just walk all over him. They had to formalize this agreement, you know, and they recognize his power over London. That is a very good point. So we go to visit Father Hubbard. And yeah, th- sorry, th- this is the scene I was talking about earlier that he was creepy and he's got that stringy hair. And I was just like, ugh. but I didn't like hate him either. Yeah, well, because there's a lot of things happening in this scene, right? Like we've been told already by Matthew that Hubbard adopts creatures mm-hmm. and he gives them protection and he does so. Um, he seals that adoption by tasting their blood. And so he's already warned Diana, don't let him taste your blood no matter what. Um, And so we walk in on Father Hubbard doing this with someone. Yeah. Although immediately after Matthew said that, like Kit was like, he he then just, or maybe Kit was saying, I don't know, whatever. Somebody then said, and then they're basically his servants. He tells them exactly what to do. So it's not. Yeah, no, I think Kit did say that. Yeah. It's not 100%. Oh, I have no idea. What I mean, it's is. protection in the same way that mob bosses protected people when yeah, they I guess. extorted yeah. money out of them, right? He is the vampire We'll protect mob. you from everybody but ourselves. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a gathering. It's a community. It, sh- they, it shows us a community because as soon as he finishes with this creature, I don't know if it's a vampire or a witch, you know, he immediately turns to his flock and says, you know, welcome your newest family member, essentially. And so there is a community there. Yeah. And that's the introduction we're getting to Stringy Father Hubbard before, you know, he threatens Diana. And I think that kind of balances against some of the sinisterness that we get from him. Yes. Because he's not evil, but he's sinister. Yes, that's a good that's a good word. And I feel... I feel like if I was a lone vampire in London, you know, and not part of the de Claremonts, I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. Mm-hmm. I got nothing. Yes. So may as well. Well, then Diana convinces him that they can pretty much be left alone for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He sees the scar on her neck that Matthew has expressly told her not to let anybody see. Of course. <laughs> and, I mean, it's harder Hubbard. when you got to wear your hair up everywhere. I know. I was thinking that last episode. But they were doing a good job with, like, the big collars and, you know, having her hair kind of poofy around that area. But he still sees it Mm -hmm. and immediately threatens her and Matthew, saying, you know, one of you, if if this was willing, you're fucked. And if this was unwilling, you're fucked. Right. And he's going to, you know, poke at both. And Diana steps in and was like, well, I made him do it, which is different than if he coerced a witch. Yeah. Um. And for some reason, he just accepts it and lets them go, but gives them this veiled threat. God is watching you. That was so good. Um, I I will say the the way that Diana describes it and that making Hubbard be kind of okay with them is one of the reasons that you kind of are okay with him, if that makes any sense. Because he's like, okay, you tried to save his life. Fine. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Because he did. He was like, this is acceptable to me and in God's eyes. Yeah. Because. Okay. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that relationship progresses. Mm-hmm. Matthew, of course, chastises Diana for being super reckless, but very quickly also admits that she was brilliant and it's a good thing she did what she did. Yeah. Like, I feel like he just he wants to have his cake and eat it, too. Like, he has to kind of dig in and fuss at her, but he knows that she was right. It must be a difficult spot to be in. Maybe I'm giving Matthew too much credit, but, like, to know all the dangers and the threats and, like, to have an idea of what they're doing and how everything can go wrong in an instant. And then to have Diana always just be like, oh, whatever, let's just approach this how we would in the present day. It doesn't, you know, who cares? And then have it all work out and him being like... I would never have done that, but I guess it worked. Yeah. I don't know. I can see both sides. Yeah, I can. But I I like that he acknowledged 
Yes. That that she did what she needed to do. Although you'd think he would stop thinking that she wasn't going to. I mean, I don't think he underestimates her because he doesn't ever stop her from talking. Right. Like, he lets her, he knows that she's going to hold her own even if he thinks she should be quiet. Yeah. And I think we, we saw that a lot in both episode one and episode two where he would get this look on his face when she's talking and he's like, well, got to let her do it. <laughs> I guess I just wish there's a scene somewhere where he'd be like, we're going to go talk to this person. Don't say anything. That doesn't matter. I know you're going to. Just be careful. <laughs> I feel like, did we get a scene like that in season one? Or is maybe the, maybe it's in the book. I don't know. I feel like there is. I feel like we've gotten that somewhere. Uh, maybe it is in the book, and that's what I'm thinking of. Mm. One of us okay. should really reread. <laughs> I started rereading Shadow of Night this morning um, because I wanted to see just how far off Everything the show was from the book. Um, And so I actually, I wanted to talk about that when we get to our spoiler section. Um, And then we get to Diana and not Sophie trying um, a spell. We do. We do. There is a quick, I want to mention this because I think it's just so fun. It's like the quickest scene in the entire world. Like, I don't know what the point of it is, but I like it. Mm -hmm. Matthew and Kit in the church. Oh, yes. And Kit wanting Matthew to go have fun, you know, reminding him that Matthew Roy- Royden was not just, you know, bearer of doom and gloom and torture buddy. He had fun. And Matthew laughs and is like, mm, you're going to want money for this fun, aren't you? And that's it. That's the whole scene. It's so fast. But such a moment of, like, camaraderie and joy yes. between Matthew and Kit, which we haven't seen much of yet. Yeah, I I think it was a good scene to see for, for the viewer to see how and why they were friends because mm-hmm. we haven't gotten much of that yet. Yeah, we've been set up mostly to dislike Kit, um, even though we like him because the actor just nails it. Yeah, I, I will say I like that. Di- I like disliking him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now we go to not Sophie and Diana. Correct. Uh, doing magic, trying magic. Um Diana is asked to get the contents of an egg into a bowl without using her hands. Uh, I feel like they missed the mark in this scene because when the chick comes out of the egg, why did it not jump in the bowl? Right? (laughs) That would have been the best. I think that might have been just a little bit too on the nose, but it would have been it would have been nice, especially since the egg floated. Yeah. Right. She did get the egg to float. So if it had just kind of like floated over and sat in the bowl. Yeah. And then the chick came out. That would have been great. I, I, so, I still like the idea of it hatching on the table, the chick jumping in, and then Diana just looking at not Sophie and being like, I did it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know that. That would have been absolutely, that would have been good. Um, not Sophie is okay with this kind of magic, I guess, because it's bringing forth life instead of taking it like she did with the fruit. Yeah, that's an interesting I, I, point. I don't. Trying to, I mean, because Sophie was scared after the, the, the bowl of fruit when the fruit rotted, but she was not scared here. She was kind of in awe, but she immediately says, okay, I'll, I'll speak to Goody, Goody Allsup for you. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't run away in fear. And that's the only difference that I can see is this is life and that was death. It's possible that she was kind of like surrounded by scary looking men, one of whom was a vampire at the other time. And she was just like, "Mm, I'm getting out of here. Okay, I hadn't considered that. That's also a fair point. Yeah. But it's interesting that the two times that Diana's displayed her magic for not Sophie have been kind of, uh, I, I don't know if opposites is the words, but like two ends of a spectrum where she like drained life out of something, but then almost put that into something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also liked in this scene, she did the same thing that she did in the first one where she like closes her eyes and takes a deep breath. But in this one, she verbally reminds herself that magic is desire, desire made Sorry. real. She's got to talk about us I, right there in the show. Of course. Which is awesome. Yes. I do enjoy any time the name of our show is said. Mm-hmm. We did good. Yeah. Picking the name of our show. And they obviously put it in just for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. And then we're to some card betting situation. I have no idea what they're playing. I mean, I assume it's some form of poker. That's kind of what it looked like, but I wasn't paying enough attention to what the hands were. No, me neither. But Kit literally wins the shirt off of someone's back. (laughs) Why would you not just walk away at that point? I mean, I don't know. Unimportant to our conversation, I guess. But I mean, Matthew did say it was a good hand. Like he expected him to win until Kit showed his hand. So, I mean, 
I guess. You just had to have a great hand to beat it. I don't know how to play poker, so I don't know. But I don't know that I would give the shirt off my back in a bet. It just seems risky. But I guess the important part of the scene is that Kit wins an earring and gives it to Matthew. So now Matthew has an earring. Matthew does have an earring. But his ears aren't pierced. Did you notice that that was an earring for not pierced ears? I, I genuinely... I did not notice. I thought he just, like, stabbed it through his own ear. Oh. Maybe. So maybe that's how it worked. But it was, like, a hoop that had a section cut out, like an adjustable hoop, kind Mm -hmm. of, that you would just, like, like a fake nose ring, right, where you just, like, slide it in. Right. And it looks like you have a nose ring, but your nose isn't pierced. It was one of those little hoops. And so he just yanked it off of his ear, and then Matthew just put it on. Oh, right. So it, it looked very clearly to me, like, why does he need an earring when his ear's not even pierced? Like, I guess that's just the fashion in 1590. I have no idea. Maybe Kit just likes him that way. I mean, I think Kit likes Matthew anyway. Yeah, it's true. And then immediately after that, he gets a reminder that he's supposed to be torturing. Yes. What a bummer to the evening. <laughs> what a way to end the evening, right? Yeah. You win something, and then you're reminded you're supposed to be torturing somebody. I mean, they could continue into that fun, you know? Have some more drinks, <laughs> go do a torture. Um. So the thing I like about this scene is we end up with Kit and Matthew on that balcony. Mm-hmm. And because it's daytime now, I can see that it really is out over the alley. And there's lots of people out there. And so it's not as weird as it was to me last episode. Right. But they get their alcohol from somebody who puts it in a basket and they just pull the pulley up. That, Like, does that mean somebody's walking up and down the street with like a cart of beer and, and you just kind of signal him and be like, yo, we want two. We'll put money in our basket and you drop so. the basket down. And then he takes the money and he puts the beer or whatever it is in the basket and you pull it. Because that sounds like a good time. Yeah, I feel like that's brilliant. Yeah. Like, I would like to do that. I mean, I don't have, I, I don't have a balcony and I, I don't live near people. So, like, it wouldn't work for me. But if I lived in the city, that's just fantastic because I'm lazy. But I, I mean, we have DoorDash and Grubhub now, so it would probably work just the same. But that's true. I guess this was, this was the 16th century version of DoorDash. I guess, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. I lo- and, and it's only alcohol as far as we know. <laughs> Yep, yep. And then we get this great conversation between Kit and Matthew because Kit starts asking questions about the future. This is like the one scene so far where I have felt like some pity, I guess, for Kit. Like I haven't been like, ugh, could you just shut up? Okay. Because I, I don't I don't like Kit. Is like the actor doing a great job because he's making mm-hmm. me not like him. But in this scene when he was asking about his future, because I know what happens to Kit Barlow and, yeah. and how... You know, he dies very young and how his work is very overshadowed by, you know, Shakespeare. So what he was asking about, it, I was just like, oh, man, that sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. But it is a moment of he shows genuine care and concern for Matthew. You know, and we had a moment like this with Diana at the end of the last episode where he sits and has the wine with her mm-hmm. and kind of warns her about your Matthew and my Matthew are very different. And so you need to pay attention. And this this scene is very similar to that. Except it's Matthew, and so he's much more vulnerable and open with him. Yes. Um, and Kent also gives him some good advice and, you know, tells him, don't ignore Lord Borley's orders, because if you do, they're going to know you're different. Yeah. And it's, it's not going to work out well for Matthew or Diana. Yeah. And I think if Kit were actively trying to sabotage Matthew at this point, he wouldn't have given him that advice. Well, I don't think Kit is ever trying to sabotage Matthew. I think maybe he might try to sabotage Diana. Yeah. Which Matthew maybe. would interpret as the same thing, but Kit would mm-hmm. would not. Yeah. Oh, I also really like Matthew Good is so is such a good face actor. Yes. Like when he's just like, Kit, please stop asking, you can see in his face that he's just like, Oh Jesus, I don't I don't even want to think about this. I don't you know, like it he you can see so much in his face and it's so good. Oh, Sorry, I just looked up when Kit Marlowe dies. He's got three years, so that really sucks. Oh, <laughs> oh poor Matthew. Yeah. I'm trying to hide it. But, I mean, Faustus is still well known. Like, people know Kit Marlowe's name, so. Yeah, like, his work does survive. But if you were asked to name a playwright from 1590, he wouldn't probably be the first one that popped into your head. No, no, he would not. Uh, poor Kit. Okay, next we learn about a book called Malleus Maleficarum. Which, I mean, must be a super fun read, you know? Like, just just good times only. <laughs> not not a book about torturing witches at all. No, not not at all. Um, 
I, I looked it up. It is a real book, mm-hmm. first published in 1486, and it does suggest torture to effectively obtain confessions, and the death penalty is the only certain remedy against the evils of witchcraft. It encouraged burning witches at the stake and became kind of like, it, it had a big impact on society in the 15th and 16th centuries. Yeah. Um, and it kind of trapped people innocent people and and diana brings this up when she realizes matthew has this book and that this book was used to question thomas caldwell Mm -hmm. you know she says these questions were used to trap innocent people thomas caldwell is innocent yeah so i mean if you torture anybody long enough they're gonna say whatever you want like even i feel like even um in the scene earlier with burley he doesn't tell matthew to torture caldwell for the truth he tells Matthew to torture Caldwell for a confession. Mm-hmm. So I feel like even if Matthew tortured him for a while and he continued to deny it, he would not. He would not be happy with that. He wants him to confess. Mm-hmm. And we still see shit like that today when you know cops put people into interrogation rooms and don't let them leave or you know do stupid shit to them. So it's just been a long history of humans being shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so this is where we find out for certain that the reason Thomas is being questioned and is being used as the scapegoat for why English witches might turn against the crown is because under duress, Mm -hmm. you know, while he was being tortured, he said some negative things about the the queen. Yeah, but who wouldn't? Right? It's terrible. But the scene leads to an argument that has the best line in the whole episode. Oh? I think so. Okay. Um, so this whole thing leads into Diana and Matthew arguing about whether or not they really should be here. Diana's worried that the witch hunts are going to impact her. She says Mary was right. And Matthew's like, no, 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 I wouldn't have brought you here. And then he's just like, Diana, I beg you. Oh, please, 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 for the love of God, let me finish my reading. (laughs) And she just laughs and walks away and then goes, by the way, I found a teacher and walks away. Yeah. Those two lines together, I love. And his his delivery is just fantastic. And you can see he's exasperated. He doesn't, like, he agrees with her, but he also knows he has to do his job. Yeah. And so he's just like, let me do this thing I have to do. I love it. It, it was a good, it was a good scene for their relationship, I think. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that's what I keep saying. Their relationship is great. Every scene with them is good. I, I really loved when Diana says something about how she brings up the witch hunt and then Matthew's like, it's this many years until the witch hunts break out. And she's like, well, it's a good thing you're a scientist and not a historian. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, yes, because me actually being there is just means nothing. She's like, yeah. Yeah. I like that they can argue with each other and respect each other at the same time. Yes. And still love each other and come out of it fine but but i mean that was a genuine argument between the two of them yeah but it didn't feel like like it was an argument but they didn't feel angry if that makes sense yes Yes, that makes perfect sense and which is just good writing and acting yeah this i just feel like this season is so much better than season one yes um and then uh like like you said diana found a teacher and that's what we cut to we cut to meeting goody also Mm mm-hmm and i love when goody uh reaches out to touch diana's head and diana kind of is like, <laughs> no. Just to show that she does still have a bit of lingering effects from the trauma of being tortured by a witch. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Goody's like, I promise it won't hurt. Yeah. Which, like, they had a lot more of that in the book, and they mostly cut it out of the show, which is fair, because you don't really want to, like, really, like, the book. I just reread that bit in the first book, and it was real bad. So it's probably better that they didn't do it in the show quite to that extent. Mm-hmm. But I like that they had something. Yeah. And so this is the scene that I think they've been building up to since last season. This is the scene where, you know, Goody also immediately recognizes Diana as the witch that she's been waiting for, mm-hmm. that's been foretold in the prophecy. And this is where Goody tells her that she's a weaver. And we learn that being a weaver means you make your own spells. Right. Yes. Um, and it's so rare that there are only three weavers left in the world that they're aware of. That's including um, Agnes, Diana. Including Diana, yeah. So Agnes, who is imprisoned in Scotland, Goody Alsop, and now Diana. Yeah, this is another reason why Matthew's face is so good, because it like cuts to his face when she says Agnes is a weaver, and he's like, oh, please don't go into <laughs> her being captured. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And I think it's an interesting juxtaposition, though, that because we have Agnes has been captured in Scotland, but not because she's a weaver, just because she's a witch. But then we also learned that traditionally weavers have been hunted and forced into hiding by other witches. Yes. Like the other witches are the ones that are so dangerous to weavers because of fear. Which completely makes makes sense and connects to what Diana's going through in present day. Right. People have been shit for always, as we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it's enough that it makes her wonder if Satu knew she was a weaver because Satu was afraid of her power mm-hmm. and knew she was special. Yes. Which I, I don't think that's the case because Satu didn't even know that she was a weaver. She was just kind of like a weaver. What? So it's interesting from Diana's point of view, but I don't think that's the case. I don't think it is either. I think Satu recognized a kinship. Yeah. Like, recognized that they were similar in some way, but didn't know why. Yeah. And wanted to know more about Diana once she realized that, which is, you know, why she cut into her back, trying to get her power out of her. But, yeah, I just, I liked that they recalled that to us by having Diana wonder. And then we learn, oddly enough, that it was Diana's father who was a weaver. That's how Diana, it was passed to Diana, which is unusual. Weavers are usually women. Yes, I I did like that bit. And I also liked um, when Matthew says about how old he is and how he's never heard of this before. I Mm -hmm. just wanted to file that away for a discussion later on when somebody else has something to say about that. Okay, we we, we shall remember. And then we're introduced to the Witches Council or the Reed. Oh, sorry. Before that, um, when Diana is talking to Goody Allsop and they're sitting down and she... I don't or Goody Yellowsop says that she creates spells. And then Diana says, with respect, no. Which is <laughs> fabulous because that's exactly what she said to Kit in the last episode. She said, with respect, you don't know me. And I feel like maybe we heard Sarah say something like that in season one. But I, I just love that they're continuing with Diana's like, with respect, but you are wrong. Mm-hmm. It's it's just really good. I love it. But it felt like when she was talking to Kit, it was like a fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. But when she's talking to Goody Allsup, it really is with respect. Oh, yeah. No, no, it Definitely. I just I like seeing I feel like when you're writing dialogue, it's really easy to just get the plot out. But it's so good when you can see them. Ha- people have um, speech patterns, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? and, and when you keep that going. Yeah. So I just I just really liked it. But yes, sorry, on to the read. So the read, I mean, there's witches, they're in a group, they accept Diana, but what's important here is Goody Allsop's hat. Right? <laughs> it's a great hat. Fabulous. She's the only one in the room wearing a hat, too. I, maybe it's a mark of her being in charge. Maybe that's maybe the leader hat. I don't know. But I, I literally, people were talking, important things were said. All I saw was the hat. Yes. Well, and Diana also tells this room full of witches that she's a time spinner. Oh, yes. Who true. has come from the future to ask for help. Yes. And this is the first time that contextually her magic, her relationship, and the book have been tied together. Yes. Like she literally says they're woven together. You can't have one without the other. And they've been teasing that since the beginning of season one when she first, you know, she met Matthew and called up the book in the same day, but they haven't spoken I mean, about it. She didn't meet Matthew that day. She just bumped into him, basically. Well, Matthew became aware of her that yes. day. How about that? Sorry, that was a little nitpicky. I apologize. That's okay. Nitpicky's fine. Yes, that is good to say. And interesting that Diana's aware of it, because I don't think that would be something that would be... You wouldn't think, yes, this book, my relationship with this dude, and who I am as a person, all mixed up together. So, Well, I think we started getting hints of it at the end of season one, um... Because we did find out that her father had the page from the book. Right. And we also found out, I really hope this was in the show, and I'm not just remembering this from the book. (laughs) But did we find out in the show that her parents used to tell her the bedtime story about the man who would, the shadow man who would find her? Yes. And so I think for her her dad to be a part of both of those things and to have spellbound her magic, Mm -hmm. like... They're touching on it. It just was never explicitly said. Right. Or maybe I'm just reading too too much into it. No, I, I think you're I think you're right. And I just I wasn't disagreeing earlier. I just think it's interesting that I don't know that I would be that self aware, I suppose is what I'm saying. Okay. But it was a really good scene and then they do that they all they all sort of agree, she's good, we'll teach her, and then they do a circle around her and kind of welcome her. And you can really see that Diana feels for the first time like safe with witches. And, mm-hmm. and confident 
because they and happy yeah and and not in a way that's necessarily related to matthew because he's not even there mm-hmm. like she finally feels like she's found a place she can be herself and she can learn who she is yeah and she had to travel 500 years into the past to do it which sucks but it does but i think she has a great time in london it's true i think so too I mean, I still think all of the stuff that happens in London is my favorite part. Like, book two is my favorite of the series. I love all the stuff that happens in London. Like, I like 1590 Diana more than I like present-day Diana. Interesting. I like... I've talked about this even last episode, but I thought I disliked book two because there is a lack of plot moving forward. But Mm -hmm. I do like that that opens it up to give us so much character and relationship. So I can understand why that would be your favorite version of her because we are given this freedom to get so much of her. Yeah. I don't even know what my favorite book is anymore because I'm like, now that I know the plot, I'm not worried about book two and its lack of plot. So I'm just like, it is really good. Mm-hmm. They're all really good. Like, I'm waiting for her to keep writing more. Um, And then Matthew makes a decision about the torture. He does. Um, I love this scene. Um, You were talking earlier about Matthew's face acting. Yes. Dude, he is in so much distress when we get to the scene. Um, we just had a, a tiny moment in the street with Father Hubbard. Um, Father Hubbard is asking him to intervene because Thomas Caldwell is one of his people, threatens to contact Philippe if Matthew doesn't help, which is the last thing Matthew wants. And so Matthew is, is in this room with Kit, and he is just angry he's scared he's furious Mm -hmm. and you can see all of it on his face without him saying a word yes and it's it's just amazing again i'm i'm never not impressed by matthew good and his acting Mm -hmm. and his tight pants um yeah (laughs) i do enjoy that father hubbard's threat is i'll tell daddy (laughs) which takes a little bit of the menace away from him like i get from matthew's point of view he's like oh dear god the last thing i want is to talk to my dead father you know Mm -hmm. but like like i feel like actual 1590s matthew would be like okay right yeah (laughs) probably yes yeah regular 1590s matthew wouldn't care it wouldn't have been a threat yeah like you want me to leave and go talk to my dad sure i got time i'm not going anywhere you're not going anywhere yeah sure um We also get some great advice from Kit. Well, I think it's great advice. I'm not sure that it's going to pan out to be great advice Mm. in the end. First, Kit tells him, you should just contact Philippe yourself. And Matthew's like, "Uh, no, not doing that. To my point. Yes, to your point. (laughs) To your point, absolutely. Um, But then Kit basically says, fine, if you won't do that, then you need to just go ahead and kill Caldwell. He he has this great, I like listening to Kit's voice. Oh, yeah, the actor's fabulous. Um, And so there's this voiceover of Kit's advice to him as we leave the room where Matthew and Kit are talking to Matthew going to see Thomas Caldwell. And on the way, we get Kit's voiceover and he says, Matthew Royden is never cruel for sport, but he is ruthlessly efficient. Yes. Do not impersonate Matthew Royden. Become him. Yeah, that's really good. I also really like that because being ruthless is one of the things that I like about Matthew as a character. Like, I do think even modern day Matthew is ruthless. Absolutely. And the fact that Diana also learns to be ruthless, which the 1590s kind of do to her, is one of the things that makes their relationship so good for me personally. So I I like that they used that word that I also think about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we briefly talked about that towards the end of season one as well. Mm, maybe. Um, that Diana sees his ruthlessness, but also sees why he's ruthless and again it's exactly what kit is saying here it's not for sport you know when he is ruthless it's because he's being efficient something needs to be done he's protecting someone like he has his reasons for why he is the way that he is and he's not cruel he's not evil he's not a villain yeah so matthew goes and snaps caldwell's neck and again great bit of face acting yeah he does do it in a way that feels merciful because he does tell him you know, Father Caldwell spoke for you and I believed him, kind of. Like, leads Thomas Caldwell to believe that, you know, Matthew knows that he's not this horrible traitor. Right. But then Matthew still snaps his neck. But he does it so fast that it wasn't painful. I'm sure after all that torture, Thomas Caldwell was like, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. You know? Better than being burnt at the stake. Oh, absolutely better than being burnt at the stake. And no more torture. Yeah. Uh, But you can tell Matthew's all torn up about it. And then... 
when he tells Diana about it later. At first, she's really understanding, but then when she learns that Matthew 100% knew that Caldwell was innocent and everything, she's a little bit like, I don't think she's angry at Matthew. I think she's angry at the situation and the fact that this could turn bad for witches in general. Yeah. There's something about the scene that I don't like that Matthew does. Mm. He kind of blames her. Oh, okay, yes. Right, he says there's no path where Tom survived and I could keep you safe, which is effectively saying I killed him for you. Yeah. And I I, I don't like that. Like, I, I understand why the character would say that, and I get that it's not out of character for him to say that, but I still don't like it. Yeah, I agree with that, but, like, Matthew's not perfect, so I'm sh- sure... Like, I, I I agree. That was stupid of him. Yeah, and I mean, she didn't really address it. She kind of walked away, and then we cut to another scene. Um, but that's kind of what we were left with, and I was just like, that feels like victim blaming a little bit. It also feels like like it, it, they didn't lead up to that at all. Like, it just came out of nowhere. Because everything so far about Caldwell was, you know, somebody saying, you have to torture this dude, and Matthew very clearly being like, God, I do not want to torture anybody. And then Hubbard saying, you got to free this dude. And then Matthew being like, well, that would make the queen and the dude distrust me a lot. So I can't do that. And like just Diana never even came into his struggles. So why would he have even said that? Well, so I think what they were trying to show us with all of the back and forth and him trying to stay Matthew Royden and not raise suspicion to bring suspicion onto Diana Mm. is that, I mean, he's trying to step into the life that he was leading in 1590 and do it seamlessly so that they can do what they need to do and then leave. Yeah. And if he does anything that jeopardizes that, that makes people suspect that something is wrong with Matthew Royden. Right. It does impact Diana. And I think that's where all of this is coming from. They just haven't done a super great job at being explicit about it. Yeah. But I can, my brain just kind of fills in those blanks based on what I know about Matthew. I guess I, I guess I just would have liked to have seen that a bit more. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I ridicule shows for underestimating how intelligent we are and then call them out for not telling us something explicitly, which is kind of hypocritical. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fair. I, I, I don't know. I I just personally felt that the struggles they were showing us about why he really didn't want to torture this dude. They never really brought Diana into it. And I can see what you're saying. And that makes sense, uh, especially for Matthew. But I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't really feel that way to me in the writing. Yeah. I could be wrong. And then we find out that Father Hubbard wrote to Philippe anyway. He told Daddy. He did. He told Daddy. And Matthew choosing to snap Caldwell's neck still arose suspicion with Lord Burley. Yeah. So it didn't even work. Yeah. Well, I think he tried to placate everyone. And when you do that, you you obviously you make no one happy. Yeah. Yeah, so we end on another, like, dark note. Last week we were ending on torture, and this week we're ending on Lord Burley being super angry with Matthew and basically questioning whether or not he's a traitor. Yeah, with with a side of Philippe knows, or is about to. Yeah. Yeah. And then we cut... So that is episode two. Yeah, well, just... Just continuing our theme from last week, we then cut to the credits, which has a song playing, which is The Man Who Sold the World, which is a David Bowie song, which I love. I've never heard this version before. I have no idea who's singing, and I couldn't find it anywhere. I think I listened to every single version of this song on Spotify. I don't even remember it. Like, I watched this episode again today, and I don't remember the song. You might. I mean, I know it because of Nirvana's cover. Mm, Okay. Uh, I know that way better than even the Bowie version. But I I would be very interested in knowing who did this version. But again, I was unable. I feel like such a failure. Yeah. Well, maybe by the time they actually release the episodes, they'll release more information and maybe they'll tell us to give us the soundtrack i hope so my worry is that when they released the soundtrack for season one it was only the stuff that uh what's his face wrote oh that's gonna bother me lane uh yes rob rob lane yeah um it was only the stuff that he wrote they didn't like oh and not the actual songs you know we found those on our own but this year i'm failing at finding them and i that's all all right tune find only has season one up which makes sense because season two is not actually out yet. Right. That 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 is probably part of the problem. <laughs> uh, okay. So I think next up we are going to talk about the adaptation, the book. Going to go into some spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled, you will probably want to say goodbye now. All right. So spoilers. Uh, you're the one who wrote some notes here. 
I did. I wrote some notes. Um, so I started rereading book two today. I didn't get super very far in it because structurally the book and the season are so different yeah. that it was hard for me to kind of make actual comparisons. And I actually prefer the way they've done it on the show oh, than the book. So do I. It, like I said, streamlined. Yes. Super streamlined, super moving things along. Um, they've combined some characters. Um, the things that I found interesting that I didn't remember before we started last week is that it is absolutely textual that Kit is in love with Matthew oh, yeah. in the book. And it's very, very subtle in the show. Like, it's there, but it's not said. Like, Diana actually says Kit's in love with Matthew mm. I feel like in the, book. Uh, in the later episodes, it, it, it is said. Okay. Um, so far, it's not, yeah. it's not. And I have only gone up to episode four. Okay. In my watch. I so watched I up finished. to seven. Um, the other thing that I noticed that I found interesting was that in the book, they told everybody that Diana was a time spinner. Francois knew. Um, Sir Walter Raleigh knew. Like, it wasn't just telling Kit. And, it, and they didn't tell Kit because it was a problem to solve. They just immediately told everybody. Interesting. I don't. I didn't remember that at all. And literally when I was watching this episode, I was like, man, they're just telling everybody. That seems weird. I was thinking that too. Yeah. I was like, wow, she's just telling all the witches. But then I started reading the book and I was like, oh, no, they told everybody <laughs> in the book. Like as soon as they got there. I guess that makes sense to explain why Diana is so Diana, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they, they called out her differences much more in the book. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to explain why she sounds so different um, because they said they couldn't understand her in the book. Oh. And they couldn't necessarily do that in the show because they made everybody sound so similar in the show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, those were just the two biggest differences that I saw right away. Um, and it's an interesting change. And then I was surprised at how quickly they get to France and to Philippe in the book mm-hmm. versus it's halfway through the season before they get to France in the show. But it's because they put a bunch of the stuff that happens after France before France. Right. Because they don't even go to London until after France. Yeah. So it's just like, it's all like mixed up and everything, but I think it flows a lot better the way they did in the show. Yes. Having, being like finished with episode seven and only having three episodes left, I'm still like, when are you going to talk about this? When is this going to happen? Like this has to happen. And it hasn't yeah. even come up. Like nothing about having children has come up yet. And I'm like, nothing, nothing. She has a freaking miscarriage. Well, I think I think they're cutting that out, which is smart. Oh, okay. Like, there's definitely stuff like TV wise, like show wise, that is foreshadowing it, but there's nothing like within the world that is foreshadowing it. If that makes sense, like thematically, they're foreshadowing it, but they're not okay. But nothing has come up. Like Philippe didn't say anything. Obviously, they cut out last season. Mart making the the contraceptive tea. Mm-hmm. And so all that is just gone. And it's like, are they, this has to come up at some point. God, it's going to be so weird if they wait until season three to bring it up. I don't know. All I really wanted for Christmas was those last three episodes and I did not get it. So, oh, <laughs> <laughs> they'll come soon. Yeah, they'll come soon. I, I, I don't want to say I promise, but I hope, I hope, yeah. I hope they'll come soon. So, so anyways, I'm very interested to see how they do that. Without it coming out of nowhere. Yeah. And I'm I'm looking forward to kind of seeing the scenes. And I guess you said they call it Bohemia. Yeah. In the book, it's Prague. Like, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I've gotten to where they're getting ready to leave. Yeah. To go there. Except they have to go to France first, I think. Yes. I don't remember. It's so many things happen and they just get mixed up in my head. That's that's how the show goes. They go from London to, to set tour. And then on to Bohemia from there. No and back and Bohemia. forth. Yeah. All right. Any any other things we need to bring up this week? I don't think so. Okay. So we would love to know what you think of season two so far. Tweet us at Desire Made Real. I'm Caitlin, and you can follow me and find my other shows on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. And I am Andy Kay, and you can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows at eloquentgushing.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at eloquentgushing. Or you can give me a shout out on Twitter at Mandy Kay. Join us next week as we talk about episode three, where we finally meet the person everybody has been waiting for in season two, obviously. Okay. There's also a bunch of murder. Yeah.
Gala glasses, <laughs> that's not more important. important. <laughs> uh, but until we meet again, remember that with every ending, there's a new beginning.